Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Welcome to Transporter Lock. Your only podcast dedicated to the least efficient, but most enjoyable way to execute someone. I'm your host, Empress Sabriel, but most know me as Sabri Hell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Commandant Ken Gagney, known to most as Ken Gangrene. Long live the Empire! Long live the Empire! (laughs) Hello, Sabriel. I've been pumped to do that intro for like a few days now. (laughs) You executed a sabriality. <laughs> well done. Friendship. Friendship. <laughs> no, <wait. laughs> so, welcome to Transporter Lock. Hi. Hi. I am sorry, everyone, I missed last week, but I hope you enjoyed Susan Arndt's uh, amazing, amazing commentary. I love Susan. We all love Susan, but we all are glad that you're back, too. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. And I am excited. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sounds like you had a good time in uh, at the Owl League. Yes, uh, the ATM machine. No, uh, um. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Sorry. Uh, OWL is Overwatch League, so Owl. Yeah, it was a. I had a wonderful time in Los Angeles. Uh, I so happy I got to experience the first week of the Overwatch League in person, and I left on Sunday when it was eighty degrees in LA. Got home that night, and it was. Negative 10 with a wind chill of made it be negative uh, 40, so 120 degree difference, it felt like, between when I got on a plane. Pretty typical delta between California and Fargo. <laughs> Pretty much. My oh, goodness. That was a shock to the system. <laughs> I can imagine. And there have been other shocks to be witnessed in Star Trek Discovery the last few weeks as they continue their exploration of the Mirror Universe. Oh my gosh, I was so bummed that I was going to miss last week because I needed to talk about that so much. <laughs> I uh, hope that Susan and I hit all your major points. You did. The only thing you guys left out was one one minor thing. The way I screamed when Culber died. You weren't the only one. Oh my god, I probably let loose an expletive and there was nobody here to hear me. Yeah, my partner, she raced downstairs to see if I was okay. <laughs> and it was a huge contrast to the noises she was hearing just moments before. I was laughing my butt off at uh, Captain Killy and her, <laughs> please, please, you know, just kind of like flailing over her words, like, shut up, you idiot, uh, kind of meanness. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, there was quite the contrast. I mean, there are not... In this mirror universe, you wouldn't expect them to go for the laughs, but that whole Captain Killy thing was fantastic. Yeah, I adored it. I adored it. I wish I could have seen more of her in action this week. But that was the episode, Despite Yourself. This week, we're talking about The Wolf Inside. Was that the name of it? Yes. We are going to try something a little different this week, more akin to last week, as opposed to our usual recap. We're just going to talk about the things that we found most provocative about this episode. So maybe we'll try it roughly in chronological order. But Sabriel, what's one of the first things that you want to talk about with The Wolf Inside? The Wolf Inside opens with Michael Burnham uh, doing a voiceover, talking about how difficult it is living in the mirror universe 
because things are basically turned upside down compared to what she's used to. I really like this bit where she sounds down because she's revealed that even after only a few days there, she's already finding it easier and easier to play along, play the part. And she's uh, talking to uh, Ash Tyler about this. And I thought it was just interesting seeing that this human mind that was raised Vulcan still was able to, was still succumbing quickly to this world, to this universe. Yeah, this is a sharp contrast to the flashbacks we saw of Michael Burnham when she first stepped foot aboard the Shenzhou. She was very detached and emotionless, and here we've really seen her embrace her humanity, especially in the face of such inhumane behavior. Yeah, seeing someone we we know as strong and and like hard, I don't want to say hard headed, but resilient, succumbing even after only a few days is or having difficulties with her how her feelings and how it's easier. Even after only a few days, just wow. So this place is really gets to you. And that's something I love about Discovery's take on the Mirror Universe compared to both, uh, to both Deep Space Nine and original series, where there it was kind of seemed like, look at all these characters and look how they're so different in this other universe. We're here, we actually explore what it's like being from the Prime Universe and going into the Mirror Universe, what it does to our psyche. And I love it. I love it. Yeah, when we had crossovers on TOS and DS9, even though there were several of them on DS9, they were each individual episodes, not extended multi-episode arcs like this one. So we really get to see more depth to that transition. And we see it, especially evidence, when Michael Burnham presides over the execution of three traitors to the Empire. Yeah, right away. Uh, and she's just like, yep, all right, this is what we do. We don't know what the, the um, traitorous thoughts were, but didn't matter. Yeah, I don't know that I could have stood there and done nothing, which is exactly what he she did. And on one hand, I want to blame her for not being more proactive in trying to save those individuals. But on the other hand, she has to get Discovery back to the Prime Universe that they can share that Klingon data and save their entire quadrant from a war. So she's still adhering to the Vulcan philosophy of the needs of the many out and the needs of the few or the one. But it just must be soul, so soul-crushing to have to do that. I mean, is there anything she could have done? No, I mean, not without revealing themselves. Mirror Universe, they don't, they don't take any advantage they can get. And if they discover that Burnham isn't there, or isn't uh, their Burnham, that means there's another ship out there with technology from the ma- main universe, the prime universe. And they've already had this happen once with the Defiant. And they're going to be like, wow, maybe technology has progressed a lot further since the last time we saw you. Let's steal this new ship you brought to us. But do you think that would have been the Shenzhou's first instinct, where if Burnham shows any weakness, they must think, oh, it must be Mirror Burnham? No, oh, I just, um, uh, this is this is me on the, uh, as we know this, once they figure it out. Not, uh, not saying that uh, they're going to, or this is the implication, just on the outside watching in, knowing what we know about the universe from a viewer's standpoint. Yeah, because only captains in the Mirror Universe have knowledge of the Defiant, and so her number one on the Shenzhou, they're not on alert for mirror invasions or mirror doppelgangers. They would just think Burnham is growing soft, something happened while she was hunting down Lorca, and now she's trying to save people, and this is not the way of the Terran Empire, she must be a traitor. Yeah, yeah. However, I am almost completely convinced that the Emperor knows. Oh, speaking of the Emperor... (laughs) <laughs> she is so cool. Uh, oh, you're talking about Emperor Georgiou? Yes. Uh, like It was something like we all pretty, was pr- pretty sure it was coming. And all of a sudden she appears in the comms and bam. Oh, she looked amazing. She looks <laughs> so cool. And she's like, <laughs> basically, well, well, well. 
Were you surprised by who the emperor was? No, like I think we we're all mostly expecting it, and when it happened, we're like yes. I mean, there are a few possibilities of who it could have been. Susan and I talked about whether or not it might be Harry Mudd, for example. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think there were very few candidates, and she was uh, my my most likely. Especially given all the coincidences that occur in the mirror universe. I mean, you're going to bump into everybody you know, because it's a small universe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we're operating with a very small cast here, so of course people who have already been cast are going to show up again. And also, I think one of the directors or producers had said, we hadn't seen the last of Captain Georgiou. Right, and... We're like, well, it's kind of bad to have her say that, and then, oh, oh, we just get a vision of her doing her last will and testament kind of thing. Like, what do you do? Do you think Burnham will have to get the Emperor killed again? I don't, well, I hadn't thought of that. That's actually a good thought. I, I was just going to say, like, I'm pretty sure that the Emperor knows what's up already. You think that the Emperor knows that Burnham is from the Mirror Universe or from the Prime Universe? Yeah, or at least something like that, because um, something she said, the only, like, one of her only few lines at the end of the episode, I actually wrote it down. Uh, she says, you have been away too long, but I can't say the same for your prisoner. So I'm pretty, uh, with that statement, I'm almost absolutely certain that uh, it's Mira Lorca who's been on the USS Discovery all this time. Because Lorca did have a little smirk on his face when yeah. the Emperor made Burnham bow. Yeah, I think Emperor knows that... He's, uh, they have a problem here. It could be either she helps send him over, or she has Prime Lorca with her. Oh. And all of a sudden, like, hey, there's two of them. Something's going on. Why would she have Prime Lorca? Because there's counterparts everywhere. So I just figure, and he's missing, or Lorca's missing. But what is the, what is the end game? What is her purpose in having Lorca captive? Oh, I don't know that part. I don't know that part. And do you think she sent mirror Lorca to the Prime Universe to bring Burnham back? Yeah, it's either she sent him over there and then to bring her or something happened and they just switched and she made use of it in somehow, in some manner. Huh, that's interesting. One of those two. Uh-huh. Because Burnham, of course, Burnham feels responsible for having gotten Prime Georgiou killed and I would think that she might see this as an opportunity for redemption to, to not commit that act again, not commit that mistake again. Possibly, hopefully. <laughs> But this is not the same Georgiou. She's evil. She has to be killed. Yeah, she's so cool. I'm surprised that they revealed the identity of the Emperor so soon, because as far as the Rebels knew, this Emperor was faceless. And so I thought that was setting up a much longer arc. Yeah, I thought so too, but I suppose there's only, what, a couple episodes left, so they had to have to get going. I don't know. I could have seen this as being a sign that they would revisit in future seasons, kind of like DS9 did. Uh, true, true. But hey, we... we... Hired Michelle Yeoh, uh, <laughs> and we got we paid a lot of money for her, so let's use her while we got her. <laughs> and you pointed out that the emperor is not called the Empress. Yeah, I thought that was weird. And then people were like, I was reading some fan discussions, and people were like correcting, like, no, Emperor. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I always, I mean, I don't live under an empire, so I thought maybe, I always thought Empress was appropriate. And I looked it up, and... It technically is. Empress is the feminine version, but it seems like it's personal choice because apparently in some uh, regions, Empress can also just mean wife of the emperor. She is no spouse of a figurehead. She is the figurehead. Uh, it almost seems like personal preference for her then. Oh, 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 another reason why I thought I thought earlier it was Mira Lorca uh, had to do with the room. Burnham and Lorca are talking in the agonizer booth room. The lighting in there. It was always a sharp contrast between this in colors between Burnham 
and Lorca. Um, just just the background lighting of like Burnham had Mirror Universe Red and the way they had contrasted it with Lorca's blue. Uh, it just, it felt like they're obviously hinting at something's wrong or different here. Maybe not wrong, but something is very different. And they, they do these tricks of the uh, camera a lot. I mean, they're very good at what they do, the cinem- cinematography, and I think that was intentional. Hmm, that's a very fine detail. I hadn't noticed that. And these are the things I noticed on my second viewing, usually. What really struck me about that scene was how impassioned Burnham was. She really wanted to go down to the planet, just the two of them, and get that information about how the Firewolf was able to create this alliance of all the different alien species. That was really important to her. Yeah, and Lorca was like, no, no, you just gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> well, I think Burnham felt her own humanity slipping away the longer she was in the Mirror Universe, and she saw this as a great opportunity to reclaim a significant portion of it. I think she was doing this primarily for herself more than anybody else, to to demonstrate to herself that she still has compassion. I, I think you, you're, you're right on. I think you're, you've got that right on. Like, yep. <laughs> I am confused, though, because she really wanted to know how the Firewolf assembled all these aliens into one species or into one alliance. It wasn't clear to me, even after watching that speech, why she wanted that information, because this is something the Federation had already done in the Prime Universe, and Dorians, Tellarites, Vulcans, and humans had all collaborated to create the Federation. And so, in her own species history, they have the lesson of how to create an alliance like that. Why does she care how it was done in the Mirror Universe? The difference is she wanted to know how a Klingon could do that, because everything she had seen from Klingons, it's all about Klingons. Klingon, or make Klingons great again. Klingons, Klingon, uh, what was their phrase again? Remain Klingon or die. Remain Klingon, yeah. And so she wanted to know how a Klingon could even accept working with others when all she's known is that they have this fierce nature where it's all them all the time. So she wanted to bring back to the Prime Universe a diplomatic solution to the war with the Klingons. Yes. And yet it doesn't seem like what she learned will be valuable because what she learned was that all these alien races, including the Klingons, were united against a common enemy. And so in the Prime Universe, their common enemy is the Klingons. The way you bring them into the fold is by presenting yet another enemy. That just maintains the status quo, really. What she learned was uniting under a cause. Uniting the houses under a cause is what gets the Empire to listen to others. If she could figure out a way to... Unite the houses in a way, in in an idea, that war is no longer the best option. That's going to be her in. I mean, I suppose I can see that's what the Klingons were doing. The 24 houses became united against the Federation. But at the same time, I think even the Klingons acknowledged that once the war was won, they'd probably disband again. Yeah, so she needs to figure out a way to get them together on an idea. Even if it's not get them together, get them together on an idea. I think that's what she learned here. She didn't. I mean, she must not have known how the houses work. I don't know exactly. And of course, the person teaching her all these lessons down on the Rebel planet was yet another character we're familiar with from the Prime Universe. Was that a surprise to you when Voke showed up and proved to be the wolf inside? No, like I, I, I uh, wasn't sure up until that moment who was going to be. But when I saw it, like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, when they said that a Klingon was running the Rebel Alliance, we're like, well, how many Klingons do we know? Yeah, it's Takuma, which probably not. <laughs> Lorel. Or Vogue. Pretty much, that's it. Yeah, and we got some interesting things here. A, a quick flashback that just related to the same time where Burnham is doing her speech 
at the beginning of the episode about how she's trying to, she's having difficulties. At the same time, she's talking to Ash Tyler, and he has this little speech about how she's his tether. She's what keeps him here. And it's made to sound like he's talking about the difference in universes. But the way the camera works and the way it's not always pointing to him when he actually says these words, uh, he's totally talking about keeping Ash Tyler here and not evoke, which I thought was clever. Yeah, which we saw later because Burnham... Well, I mean, now we're talking about the revelation that Ash Tyler is Voke the Klingon. It's something we've suspected for a while now. It's funny how he, how he saw his counterpart, how he, but he didn't actually see his counterpart or as him. All of a sudden revealed, break, broke, broke his... Was it brainwashing? Seeing himself, but not as himself. Which is a really cool dichotomy with the mirror universe. I mean, we have to assume that Ash Tyler was at some point a real person, that all those Federation records about the Starfleet personnel were not falsified. And there's probably a mirror Ash Tyler out there somewhere, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh there, when um, I wrote this down too, because like, oh, I missed that. During the scene where Ash Tyler attacks Burnham in her... Uh, quarters, he says, I have the human's face, but I remain Klingon, and not a human. He says, I have the human's face, not a human's face. So that supports the theory that there is an Ash Tyler out there? I think so. And he's probably in the Prime Universe dead by now. Yeah, he must have been captured or something like that. Right, because that's how they were able to extract all that information from him, all his memories. I believe the Klingons have a device called the Mind Sifter, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's not that they used here. Agreed, agreed. And if it would fit the house of, or Laurel's house too, who were all spies and devious and whatnot. Yeah, I think the Mind Sifter was mentioned in the original series episode, Errand of Mercy. So this is something that's definitely in their repertoire and uh, something that is to be feared. Sometimes called a Mind Scanner, but a Mind Sifter sounds much more disgusting and painful. <laughs> it's true, it's hmm. true. So we did finally find out that Burnham is Vogue, but it seems like a lot of buildup for a small payoff because he made one attempt against his captain's life, and then he was thrown in the brig, basically, or sentenced to execution. So I feel like there needs to be more done with Vogue. He needs to continue to be more of a threat in order for this whole arc to be worthwhile. Oh, yeah. When they said take him away on when he got back to Discovery... Put him in the brig. I'm like, oh, no, you're just going to put these two together. <laughs> that, that's, that was my thought. Like, no. One, you only have two guards escorting him. Like, ah, oh, shite. <laughs> and, <laughs> and two, yeah, you're putting him in the brig with the other Klingon. Great. This is not going to go well. What I thought was interesting was at some point unseen in this episode, Burnham had the opportunity to communicate with Discovery and inform them that Burnham was Voke and that he had killed Culper, which Discovery then confirmed because i thought when voke got beamed aboard the discovery that they were all going to be like welcome back ash tyler oh that would have been awful but yeah she must have communicated at some point in that in the cut because there was like no time edited between like yep we captured we stopped him now we're gonna go execute him but she must have gotten a communicator in there somewhere right and i thought it would have been much more interesting if she hadn't if she knew that she had just sent this threat back to the Discovery without the Discovery knowing that they could do anything about it. Uh, partially true, but then she would have had no way of being able to get the data on the data disk over there. But can you imagine if Voke was on Discovery, still acting as Ash Tyler, and everybody around him was fooled, but he knew Burnham knew the truth, and now he had to 
keep her from revealing his secret, keep her from coming back to discovery, all while maintaining his own facade. So just like how Burnham is pretending to be her mirror self, Voke has to pretend to be Ash Tyler. Oh, I agree entirely. But I, I couldn't have worked because she wants to be able to contact them to say, come get the data disk on his body that's floating in space. I'll tell you later. <laughs> but I think you're right. It would have been interesting. And when did she plant that disc on his body, by the way? Was it when she punched him? Oh, when she punched him, I watched the second viewing, and she dropped it in his holster. Okay, because it it first looked to me like Saru pulled it out of a pocket on his pants, and I was wondering, like, she, her hands weren't anywhere down near there. Yeah, no, no, I saw the little slip. Gotcha. And do you think that she manipulated the coordinates when she executed the transport? Uh, possibly, but I don't, I think you can still see the Shenzhou in the distance. When uh, Volk was flying in space, so I, I don't, I don't think uh, it was too far away. But that also means, oh, that's right, Discovery was on its way to the Shenzhou last episode. That's why it was already in the area. I'm like, they don't have that long range transporters, but no, that's right. Well, that's just it. How could Discovery be that close to the Shenzhou without the Shenzhou detecting it on long range sensors? I guess we don't know that they didn't know it was there. I would think Shenzhou would have said something like, oh, by the way, we're just randomly being tailed by the Discovery. Oh, I agree, but we just, we don't, uh, they knew the Discovery was coming. Oh, no, was it, wait, wait, wasn't Discovery, no, 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 it was already there because Discovery brought Burnham to Shenzhou. Yeah, last week's episode ended with the Shenzhou warping away from the Discovery. Okay, so yeah. So why would the Discovery be following them? Yeah. I mean, huh. we, we, I mean, we know why the Discovery would be falling. Yeah. Why would the Shenzhou know that? They don't. Good question. Or, oops. <laughs> and, and like you said, their transporters are not that long range. So unless they're using, you know, Scotty's equation for transport <laughs> or something. Well, they, then that means we went to the Kelvin universe at some point. Oh, God. Too many universes. <laughs> so there were three, at least three other mirror characters I want to talk about. One is, as long as we're talking about the Discovery, Captain Killy. Yeah, what do you want to talk about her? Well, she didn't get as much awesome screen time as last week, but we did see a lot of character development, I think, in our own Sylvia Tilly. She really took charge down in engineering, and she was really committed to her experiments on Paul Samets. I think that she is starting to display some of the confidence that comes with being a captain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's so cool seeing that growth. I think you're absolutely right. I loved her bits here. Just telling Saru how it is instead of, you know, being her passive. I think, I think, I think, maybe, possibly. Right, and she even quite clearly said, I want to be recommended to the command track. So she is now taking active measures to be a captain and ideally not the one that she's going to have nightmares about. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I am so excited for Tilly. I mean, before the incident, but <laughs> yeah, it, I also learned, I guess this was something I had assumed incorrectly that her captain Killy hairdo is not a wig. Oh, oh, I think we saw her. Uh, working on that in the last episode. We did, but for some reason, I just assumed that, I don't know, I it, it's such a dramatic departure in style and color from her own hairdo that I thought maybe when she wasn't Captain Killy, she would go back to being her own self. I don't, I don't know. Gotcha, gotcha. And of course, she was, as we said, doing a lot of work to help Paul Stamets, and we gotta wonder, where the heck is the CMO on this ship? Yeah, we... We actually, we already see the CMO or the chief medic or chief engineer. Stamets is like some science officer in engineering. Right. I mean, we 
were told last week that Stamets' care was being taken out of Dr. Culber's hand, but not into anybody else's. And then when he is strapped down in sickbay, we don't see any doctors. When he's in engineering, we see some nurses come in briefly. And by the way, after failing to save him with, a, with their defibrillator, they just left the body there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought maybe Tilly said she wanted to have a moment or something like that, which is possible. Oh, I don't remember hearing that. No, 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 no. That was not said at all. I was just assuming that maybe she wanted a moment with him before saying goodbye kind of thing. I mean, I've been in that situation, but... It still it still seems rather morbid. I would think that... I mean, this was true in an episode of Buffy as well, where a character died and the paramedics came and then they just left and they said, don't touch the body. We'll send somebody later to pick it up. I'm like, that is horrifying. You leave a loved one with their loved one's body and just say, stay here. We'll be back later to collect it. That is a trauma. That's weird phrasing, especially depending on how the person died. I mean, I've been with, <laughs> this is more, but I mean, I've been with a dead body for quite a while afterwards, talking about them, uh, remembering them, kind of having the last moments with them before going. Uh, but it's all personal preference. Yeah, I mean, I was given that opportunity as well, but the body was removed from the place where it had passed away and put somewhere where you had to opt in to go see it. It wasn't put in the middle of engineering. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, oh, everybody, maybe. hey, we're just, we're just going to be doing our engineering stuff around here. Please ignore the dead body. We got work to do. There's more engineering bays that can do the work there. I think she just wanted a moment. But we did see Stamets, of course, make a Hollywood-style dramatic recovery, and he encountered somebody in that little fantasy forest of his. Yeah, himself. Yeah, we see Mirror Stamets. I I can't wait to see the personality on Mirror Stamets, or if it's exactly the same. (laughs) He is his own evil self. Great. (laughs) Oh, oh, they they totally foreshadowed this happening, too, uh, just earlier in the episode. In this episode? Yeah. Tilly made this comment to Saru about how something, something, something fungal, whatever, is the only organism to link life and death. So so wait, you're not saying that they foreshadowed him meeting himself, but they no, no, foreshadowed uh, the him forest. coming back to life? Yeah. Oh, okay. But still, when Mira Stamets shows up, he says, Hello, Paul. I was wondering when you'd show up. Are you ready to get to work? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it sounds to me like... Mirror Stamets knows exactly what is going on, which reinforces for me the idea that the Discovery's arrival in the Mirror Universe was not an accident. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't have that, but yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. So what do you think is the game plan here? Why is this happening and who's doing it and why? Well, maybe, maybe I don't know for sure, but maybe the Stamets need to know, figure out, like, maybe there's infinite Stamets, Stamets in infinite universes all figuring things out and say, oh, here, finally, last one of us that we needed to fix this whatever thing is here. We can get started now. Maybe they're going to fix this and solve the problem why we've never heard of Spore Drive before Discovery. I mean, it's possible that Discovery, their next leap won't be the leap home, and this show is going to become more like Sliders. (laughs) It's also possible, too. It's possible. It sounds to me like Mirror Stamets found himself and his ship in the Prime Universe, and they're trying to leap back into the Mirror Universe, and they can't do it without their counterpart's help. And that's what I think he meant by, are you ready to get to work? Are you ready to work with me to fix this massive screw-up? Yeah, that's kind of what I was saying, but yours is much more eloquent. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One other Mirror character I was really interested in was Sarek. Oh, yeah. Who, of course, had a goatee. Yep. 
I, when he said like I'm like oh bring the prophet in and he comes out I'm like oh cool and then oh no they're gonna do a mind meld oh he's gonna see everything <laughs> yeah but it occurred to me that other than the goatee he doesn't seem all that evil same with Spock and even um in Enterprise the Vulcans seem to be most like themselves even in the mirror universe well that's a good question about Spock I have a lot of questions about Spock because Spock is the product of Sarek and Lady Amanda. And so you have to imagine that since we know Mirror Spock exists, that Mirror Sarek and Mirror Lady Amanda got together at some point. But Lady Sarek is a Terran, a human, and Sarek belongs to a rebel alliance, which may have just been orbitally bombed in this episode. So how does Spock, Mirror Spock, come into being? The thing about the Mirror Universe is that sometimes there are enigmas. Well, it's very possible that um, Amanda and Sarek, maybe maybe Amanda in this universe is uh, some kind of a person who captured Sarek in the past and he escaped. But during that time, they had a thing and made Spock. Or Spock could just exist because he needs to exist. Um, I say there's enigmas because in Deep Space Nine, Vic Fontaine, who was a hologram in the Prime Universe, was real in the Mirror Universe. That's true. And given the timeline, Spock would already be alive by now, so Sarek being yeah. bombed wouldn't necessarily preclude his existence. But it was implied in Enterprise, depending on which episode you watch, that human and Vulcan DNA would need medical assistance to be combined. And so it's possible that Sarek and Amanda in the Mirror Universe don't even need to meet, that somebody could have just grabbed their DNA and said, let's make this thing. Not possible, yeah. It's like, hey, let's figure, let's see what makes these Vulcans tick. We're going to make <laughs> half of one. But however Mira Spock comes into existence, I'm surprised that he'd be allowed to be on the bridge crew of the ISS Enterprise, because this is a xenophobic, racist culture of humans. What is a half-Vulcan doing aboard the Enterprise? Yeah, uh, I don't think we ever had an answer to that question, and it's possible that uh, he somehow earned the respect of Mira Kirk. There you have it. I mean, we don't really. We, there's there's a lot of unknowns in that. I'm sure the details of the Terran Empire were not fleshed out back in the '60s with the first <laughs> Mirror Universe episode. So, you know, these are the sort of contradictions that arise after 700 episodes. Maybe maybe we'll have an answer soon. It also occurs to me that Mirror Sarek had never encountered Mirror Burnham before. Hey, you're right. Up until now. Yeah, because in the Prime Universe, of course, Sarek is the foster father of Burnham. But that does not seem to be the case in the Mirror Universe. That does not seem to be any familiarity or association with those two. So I wonder how Mirror Burnham grew up. What happened to her parents? Or maybe they're still out there. Uh, that would be kind of interesting. Huh. <laughs> uh, someone made a comment on Reddit. They're like, even in the Mirror Universe, Spock went against his dad's wishes. And instead of joining the Rebellion, he went and joined <laughs> the Empire. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like it. <laughs> Still, though, when Sarek did the mind meld with Burnham, I would have thought there would have been more of an echo or more shock and surprise when he encountered a piece of his own Katra. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. Maybe he was suppressing it. But he was very passionate to evoke, like, no, she is the real deal. Something is up here. Like, he seemed, he did seem to show some kind of, I don't want to say emotion, but emotion for a Vulcan. Like, he was very passionate that she meant, she meant what she was saying which I think is above and beyond a normal Vulcan. And yet he was absolutely trusting about the existence of a prime universe like he saw in her memories. He was like, oh yeah, there's a whole other universe out there that I just discovered, but the important thing is 
Burnham's intentions are pure. Let's focus on that. Yeah. I mean, he's got to watch his own butt, too. Still, it seemed like he was burying the lead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I guess, I mean, how do you, maybe that sounds crazy to these folks. Like, she's not from the universe. I'm like, yeah, right. Right. Whatever. Whatever, Prophet. Yeah, sure. I mean, they trust the Prophet explicitly, and there are all different ways that any party in the Mirror Universe could use to their advantage the existence of the Prime Universe. The Terran Empire could see it as a place for exploration and pillaging and exploitation. The Rebels could see it as a place to escape to, where they would be welcome and safe. And yet, this information is just like, eh, whatever. <laughs> I mean, who knows what conversation he was going to have with Evoke afterwards. Like, hey, you gotta check this out. <laughs> Although we presume that they're all dead by now. Yeah. I mean, we don't actually see them die, so it's possible some escape. Including the very first ever Andorians in yes. Star Trek Discovery. And Tellarite. That's true. Yeah, I was so happy. They gave him a weird vo- voice modulator voice, but the Andorian, but like, oh, I was so happy to see one because they're my favorite Star Trek race. I was pleased that they underwent so little reimagining, unlike the Klingons, who Same don't look here. anything like any Klingons we've seen before. I, I'm like, oh, these Andorians look like they came right out of Enterprise. Yeah. I was I was pleased with that. He had the gruff uh, jacket, which is really cool. The future space future jacket, leather jacket, which is awesome. The Tellarite looked different, but not in a way that was a sharp contrast like the Klingons were too. The Tellarites in the past have always been portrayed as big boned, uh, just a bigger build, and here it was a uh, humanoid that we're used to with a uh, gruff Targ like face. <laughs> Targ. <laughs> That's not a compliment for anybody. I don't know. Maybe to a, maybe to a teller, right? <laughs> Do you have any th- thoughts about Mirror Saru, who we finally saw in this episode? Well, I thought it was interesting. He's playing the part of slave to the captain, which is such... He's always following... Uh, he ends up always following Burnham, no matter what universe he's in, in some, in some manner. Or she's made, she, in some manner, made his life hell in the, <laughs> in the Prime Universe. You know, he felt she he resented her for letting Zhao get killed, and here he probably was like, now he's her slave. No matter where she goes, she makes life difficult for him. But she seemed to actually make amends, try to make amends here by giving him a name and uh, treating him with respect and dignity. Apparently, you know, something no one else did. I think it was a slip up that she called him Saru, and she was just trying to cover for it, as opposed to being a compliment or an honorific yeah it, it did seem almost kind of seem that way so it's possible and then she decided to just go with it but i can't say for sure i did like that we got to see him uh pull out the uh his strength and when ash attacked her he just like lightly grabs ash tyler's shoulder and just chucks him across the room <laughs> i have to wonder a couple of things about that scene one do you think saru saved burnham solely because burnham had shown him respect and kindness that's what i want to think i don't know if it is but that's what i want to think that's what it kind of made me feel i guess i have three thoughts because the second one is we've seen saru just let himself into the captain's quarters whenever he wants including when she might be intimate with somebody else so i guess that's why he happened to be there when she most needed him he was just going in to check on her yeah, it's possible i was also oh man i kept thinking like when prime universe saru was talking to Captain on uh, communications. I was like, no, don't let Mirror Saru walk in. Don't let Mirror Saru walk in. 
That would have been extremely bad timing. I, I also thought it was interesting that Saru, when the rest of the security team showed up, he said to them, he made an attempt on the captain's life, and so they go to execute Ash Tyler, whereas last week, somebody else tried to make an attempt on her life in the turbo lift, and had he succeeded, he would have been crowned captain. And so the appropriateness of trying to murder your captain is tied exclusively to your success. Yeah, uh, I I thought that too. I'm like, well, a few times I'm like, all right, this is the universe where you always have to watch your back. I can't, uh, that's why you'll notice that, like, in this universe, everyone leads the captain. She's in back, so she can keep her eye on everyone. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, I think it has to do with respect. Maybe it's the only way to advance, but there is still some kind of decorum of respect. And when she killed uh, old comms officer dude who became captain, everyone just clapped. Like, yeah, yeah, you, you <laughs> took care of that dude. We hated him. And now you're back. And so apparently Mira Burnham is loved by the crew, even if she is a hard-ass, which she had to be in the Mirror Universe. And she has managed to retain that respect, even though she is pretending to be somebody she's not, which uh-huh. is just a testament to how good an actor she is. She must be doing well. There was a moment, a couple of moments where, well, just one in particular, she's talking to apparently Commander Detmer, uh, the redhead who has a side shave in the Prime Universe. She says to Detmer, don't presume my actions when Detmer's all like, all right, Emperor told us to blow stuff up, get the torpedoes ready. And Burnham's like, no. And almost seems like she was kind of redressing, or was that the right word? Telling telling Detmer off. And Detmer had this look of fear in her eyes, but also I was afraid, like, don't, don't piss off the people who are under you because they're going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't do this. But it seems like Detmer actually respects uh, Burnham. And so, like, she's not gonna. I don't think she's on her way to kill her anytime soon. Maybe, maybe mirror universe. It's like you you serve until you think you've had you've gotten everything you need from them, and then you kill them. <laughs> I'm sure, given the opportunity, Detmer would not say no to killing Burnham. Yeah, I mean, of course, she probably she wants her own command. But yeah, maybe that's how it works in the universe. Once you follow their lead, you take your orders, and then once you think you've had your fill, you know you've learned everything you need to, then you kill them. Words to live by from Sabriel. Thank you, Sabriel. <laughs> this has okay. been Advancing Your Career 101. <laughs> Mirror 101. <laughs> oh, man, now I'm going to have a whole lecture series on Advancing Your Career, but from the Mirror Universe standpoint. I think that would be fantastic. Just a little five-minute installments in each episode of Transporter Lock. Oh, my Do God. It. Yes. <laughs> when some listener thinks they've had enough, all of a sudden they'll be at my door. <laughs> <laughs> my turn right. to do the bits now all, all of a sudden the next episode is hosted by somebody else <laughs> great well I think that's all I have to say about this episode is there anything we missed uh, there's one tiny little bit of I thought it was I doubt it's anything but I think it's cool oh no wait no yeah there's one tiny little bit I think it's cool that I don't know if it's even important at all the rebellion symbol that they all wore on their shirts had a vague resemblance to the Romulan uh, Empire's bird Wait, the thing that who wore? Uh, the Rebellion. The, the, um, I, I didn't even notice that they had a logo. Yep, yep, they did. Uh, a few of them wore it. And it looked very similar to the Romulan Star Empire logo from TNG. Whether that's just coincidence or not, I don't know if it'll ever play out, but I thought it was just uh, something to note. Uh, we'll see. Hmm. It may not be anything. We'll need to keep an eye out for that. Anything uh, else that I overlooked? Um, Let's see. Lorca... It looks like he's been in agony a lot, uh, for good reason. 
oh, oh, Voke. When um, Ash Tyler was talking to Voke, or on the planet, or or not just when they were there with Voke, I could totally hear uh, Ash Tyler's voice all of a sudden. That actor's voice in Voke. Usually they've been hiding it in the past with their way they speak, but this time it's like, oh my god, I can hear the voice perfectly. Yeah, especially when Ash Tyler started speaking Klingon, it's more apparent. Yeah. I'm like, okay, mm. cool. Oh, and <laughs> the apparently in After Trek, I I. Is the actor who plays Ash Tyler in Voke, his fake stage name that he used for Voke was a nod to his father, or was a grandfather. Uh, some, uh, I thought uh, I thought the actor who played Voke was uncredited. Uh, he had it had a fake name. Oh, okay. And he was using the name of one of his. And uh, uh, oh, I wish I can get it correctly. I wish I wrote it down. Father or grandfather, as a respect and honor him, which I thought was pretty cool. Neat. That is cool. Yeah. And lastly, when I was at the Overwatch League, I thought the man who played Ash Tyler was there. What? He had a, a tall, this guy who had similar hairstyle, similar beard, everything. I kept looking at him, examining him close. I had to like get a ton of pictures on the internet just to make sure it was or was not him. And no, it was not him. This guy um, had a little scar that the actor does not. Otherwise, I'm like, God, I was like so close to saying, are you him? <laughs> but it was So not. close. But that's all I have for my notes and whatnot. I, I love the Mirror Universe. I'm so happy that we're, just, we're exploring it more. They've always been some of my favorite episodes. And I, here we go. This is great. This is a fun ride for me. Yeah, this is the longest arc we've ever had in the Mirror Universe. The most time we've ever spent there. The most characters that have ever been there. And this is still with four episodes left to go. No, five episodes left to go. No, four episodes to go this season. (laughs) And we've only been there for two episodes so far. So there is still a lot more to discover and a lot more that can happen. It's very exciting. Yeah, I can't wait. can't wait. All right, well, this has been Transporter Lock. You can find us online at transporterlock.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at TransporterLock, and you can leave a review on iTunes, which will help other Star Trek fans find our show and join in on the conversation. If you have any comments about each episode, feel free to email us at podcast at transporterlock.com. If you write an email right after seeing the episode, we'll get it in time to include it in that week's podcast, so feel free to chime in with your first thoughts and reactions. In the meantime, this is Commandant Ken Gangrene. And Empress Sabri Hell. Mastin, and make sure you leave a five-star review and not a one-star, and we'll bring you to the closest transporter room. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes, and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock, or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. You know who I was really hoping would be the Emperor? Who's that? The Tardigrade. Ah. <laughs> it just comes out like, rawr, 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 rawr. <laughs> You thought you'd seen the last of me. <laughs> no, it's even better. It has this rawr, 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 and everybody but Burnham can understand it. <laughs> <laughs>